So when I was about a junior in high school, I, uh, I went to summer camp at Skyview Ranch, which if you ever get the chance, go. It's awesome. Uh, but I was at camp, and uh, it was just one of those years that we had an excellent cabin. The counselor was great. Everyone got along super well. And from you know, sunup to way past sundown, we did everything together. And there was one guy in this cabin who used the word dude like every other word. So he's like, dude, we should dude, like go to the ranch house dude and like buy some dude candy. And <laughs> you know, it sounds ridiculous, but by the end of the week, literally every one of us was doing the same thing. And if you've ever had a conversation with me, you know that's not how I talk. And yet we were all doing it because we had been influenced by this guy. Tonight we're going to spend a few minutes looking at uh, another chapter of our survival guide to middle school. We're going to be looking at this subject of influence. And influence is just the ability to shape you. And, and, and you might be sitting there thinking, well, no one has that ability. In fact, everyone has the ability to shape and influence you. And I need to be clear what we're talking about tonight. This is not a lesson about peer pressure. Um, peer pressure is a type of influence, but really, you and I are influenced by far more than just the few friends that we hold on to. Uh, everything is vying to influence us. And, and so here's what we're going to do tonight. We're, we're going to look at why influence is actually important, why we need it. Then we're going to look at how influence can go wrong. And finally, how do we redeem influence? So why do we need influence? Some of you might think that you don't. That, that, and this is really how we're taught to respond to peer pressure. Just say no and be self-reliant. Be a self-made person. The, the problem is uh, none of us are actually that. We actually all need to be influenced. Uh, so I, I have a, a confession to make. I, I am afraid of semi-trucks. They scare me. Uh, ever since we went to the state fair when I was young and they had that informational booth about how semi-trucks can't see most of what's around them, I, I just get <laughs> kind of nervous anytime I have to pass a semi-truck. And what freaks me out even more is when I only see the two factory manufactured mirrors on it, because it tells me one of two things. Either one, the guy doesn't care that he has blind spots. Or two, he is so confident that he doesn't think he needs the help of a few extra mirrors. And, and if I'm honest, I think we all are kind of like semi-trucks. We all have a lot of blind spots. Uh, and, and this is something that the book of Proverbs will come back to again and again and point out to us. Um, I want to read two different Proverbs, which a, a proverb is just a short, pithy uh, saying or statement in scripture that houses some type of generalized truth. So Proverbs 14.12 says that there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In Proverbs 18.17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. And, and here's what it's saying. Everyone has areas in their life that they, they aren't seeing clearly or they just aren't aware of. Personal example. I remember one time I was writing a, a rather weighty email on a theological subject to someone, and I was pouring hours into this thing. It was a beautifully written, theologically accurate email. And for whatever reason, I showed Emma, I'm like, can you just read this before I send it? And she took one look at it and said, you can never send this email. Because you might be right, but you will destroy your relationship with this person if it ever gets sent. And so she helped me craft something that was far better and would be received much more 
favorably. My point is simply this. That email seemed absolutely right to me until it was examined, until someone pointed out the blind spot of my ignorance of interacting with, with this individual. And we all have blind spots like that, where we think everything is right, that the way we're doing it is correct, but we're blind to the reality of it. Now, just because we have these blind spots doesn't mean that we are aware of all of them. In fact, uh, our heart attempts to keep us in the dark. The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And when the Bible uses the word heart, it's not talking about, like, your gooey emotions, at least not that alone. The heart is kind of like command central. It's where the thoughts, the emotions, the, the desires and motives of our life flow out of. And what, what the prophet Jeremiah is saying here is that we can't actually trust the orders that are coming out of command central. That they might seem right, but they actually need to be vetted and censored at times to make sure that they are right. And so why do we need influence? Because we aren't perfect, finished works. I'm turning back to Proverbs. We're, we're told that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. People's influence on us can have a refining, maturing effect. We need influence. We need to be influenced. Influence itself is not a bad thing, but that doesn't mean that influence doesn't go awry. And that's why we're looking at 1 Kings chapter 12. Um, before we dive in, just to, to give the context, King Solomon, the wisest man alive, has died. And his son, Rehoboam, is being crowned king. And during his coronation, the people come to him with a request. In verse 4, they come to him and say, Your father made our yoke very heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he sends the people away, and he needs to, to think about this. This is his first major decision as king, and so he wisely calls for uh, some counsel. He seeks to be influenced, so he calls two groups of people together. First group are his father's advisors. And so he says, hey, this is what the people want. What should I do? And they answer him uh, in verse 7. If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. And this is really good advice. It's like, look, king, do this one nice thing for the people, and they'll follow you anywhere for the rest of your life. It's a no-brainer. But he doesn't actually listen to them. He listens to the other group, uh, the, uh, the, the younger crowd, if you will. So they come to him. He asks them the same question, and this is how they respond. We're told in verse 10 that the young men who had grown up with Rehoboam said to him, Thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. Now, this is obviously not saying that Rehoboam's finger was as big as his dad's thighs. Nor was he saying that he was going to go catch a bunch of scorpions, tie ropes on them, and start whipping people with them, right? Like, it's not little. It, it, it's figurative, poetic language that's trying to make this point. That if you think my dad was something, if you thought it was tough under my dad, you haven't seen nothing yet. 
And, and he, his friends were encouraging him uh, to, to show off, to flex on the people. And it goes horribly wrong. He calls the people back. He gives them their answer, and they're like, yeah, forget you. And the kingdom literally splits over this decision. Ten of the tribes of Israel go to the north with that guy Jeroboam. They become the northern kingdom of Israel. And the last two tribes hang in there with Rehoboam become the southern kingdom of Judah. And there is a whole lot of mess that follows afterwards because of that decision. But what we're interested in is how did influence go wrong here? And we could say that it went wrong because he sought out to be influenced by the wrong people. The Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15.33 to not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Now, pl and please don't understand what I'm trying to say from this passage. I'm not saying you should never listen to your friends. I'm not saying that if you are younger, that your advice is automatically bad. That's not what it's saying at all. The point that I'm trying to make here, and the point in our text is trying to make is that the company we keep, the things that we allow to speak into our life are the things that shape us. And too often we choose bad company. And the reason that we choose bad company is because bad company accepts us and makes us acceptable. Bad company loves you for you. They will never criticize you. And they'll give you a sense of worth and belonging. And while that sounds good, it actually sets you up for failure, much like it did Rehoboam. And so what needs to happen is we need to somehow redeem influence. And the way we do that is to choose to surround ourselves with good influence. And to do that, we have to understand the difference between the two. Bad influence always seeks to puff you up. Good influence seeks to build you up. This is why your small group leaders are such great influences on you because they desire to build you up to help you grow and mature, not just in your walk with Jesus, but in life in general. And what that means is sometimes they're going to say things that you don't want to hear, but that's okay, because they're trying to build you up. This type of influence is what you want to surround yourself at any stage of life, but especially now in middle school. And I know that's a very hard thing to do at any stage, Good influence is actually really tough to maintain because it often confronts our insecurities and our issues that we would rather be happy to, to leave alone. They, uh, they tell us things that we don't want to hear. It's, it's, it's difficult to surround ourselves with good influence because good influence tends to prick our pride and our self-esteem. And so the question for us is, how are we supposed to choose in a, a good influence when the bad looks so good? And the key is really that you have to be convinced that they love you. In other words, you really have to be in a relationship with the good influence. Uh, we see this most clearly in Jesus. Jesus has a lot to say about how we live our life, and much of it can be taken as an indictment of us. Uh, and you might look at that and say, yeah, why would I listen to him? He's just being critical of me. But he loves you. <laughs> and his love for you is a very, very special type of love for you. It's a type of love that all good influences share. Good influences will love you sacrificially. They will give of their time, their energy, their talent, their very selves to help you grow and mature. See, good influences say to you, I love you just the way you are, but I love you so much I can't let you stay there. 
Once again, we see this most clearly in Jesus. Loves us as we are, sinners, enemies of God, but loves us so much that he doesn't let us stay there. And so, so here, here's, here's the point. We are all influenced by something, by someone, really many someones and many some things. And so I just want to challenge us that if we want to survive and thrive in middle school, we have to be choosy about who we let influence us. We need to challenge ourselves to surround ourselves with people who will build us up, who will challenge us to be more like Christ. Thank you.